Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. In this episode, we're going to continue in our One in Messiah series, and we're going to be looking at and celebrating our Jewish heritage as we go through this study. This is a live class that I normally teach live and then we'll either record live or tape. This time I am taping it. I just sense a leading from the Lord to do that. Thank you for joining me and I pray that this will be a blessing to you as we look into this material a little bit further and understand our Jewish heritage. So today we're going to talk about the topic of inheritance. First, I want to briefly review in this study We've been looking at the Jewish people, the connection that we have with them through the Jewish heritage that we have. We have looked at why we should still honor them, that the word of God was preserved through them. The Messiah has been given to the world by God through them and through their line. We've looked at them toward the gospel and we've looked at reasons why they're resistant. We have seen Romans 9 through 11 the curse of blindness that is partial and temporary that is applied to them at this moment and the reasons for that. We've seen the messianic movement that God is doing in our day and their future salvation that will come in the future yet. We've talked about how we are honoring them, but we are not to be brought into bondage to Judaizing to keep the law and the Torah and these other things in the terms of it being a bondage to us. Paul also writes about that in the context of rules and regulations and laws and keeping of the laws. He writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So this is another verse for us to remember our Christian freedom as well as the Jews freedom in Christ and yet how we can fellowship and worship God in our individual freedoms yet we are still one in Messiah. So for those of us that know Jesus and love him and would love to share him with the Jewish people that yet have not received him and seen that he is their Messiah. How do we reach them? How do we whet their appetite? What Paul called provoke them to jealousy. Well, in this lesson today, we're going to talk about a portion of the answers to these questions, and we will continue that in the next episode as well. First, I want to mention some mistakes that Christians make. Sometimes we tend to try to evangelize them the same way that we've done with anyone else, meaning that we start in the New Testament. We would tend to start with, say, John 3.16, or the Roman road to salvation. Romans chapter 3.23, Romans chapter 6.23, and Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13. And we would tend to want to start with those passages to reveal Jesus to them. So we would tend to evangelize them the same way we would anyone else. However, 
with the Jewish people, we must understand, as we've seen in prior lessons, that they won't receive the New Testament. Most of them are closed to that. They don't believe it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They think that our Jesus is some other God. Many of them do. So I want us to look at a better way, an effective way for us to reach them, not necessarily the way we've always done it in the past. Also, I want us to understand, too, that Scripture gives us a beautiful understanding of evangelism, period, and how to best evangelize anyone, Jew or Gentile. In all evangelism, we need to learn from Scripture, start where they are. I want to show you that from this passage in Acts chapter 8. I want to begin the reading in verse 26 and read through verse 38. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? I want to stop right here for just a moment. This man was reading from Isaiah, from the scroll of Isaiah, but not just anywhere. He was reading from Isaiah 53, which is a part of the scroll of Isaiah. And so now Philip is going to help him come to understanding of who Isaiah was speaking of. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and he baptized him. So here we learn several principles about evangelism with anyone, Jew or Gentile. We always need to start where they are. It's an important principle of evangelism to understand. Start where they are, and then take them from there and use the whole of Scripture explain it to them, and lead them. 
The Bible says about Philip here that he started from there, beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He didn't stop there. It reminds me of Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and in Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 45, where Jesus showed the disciples and corrected their theology, their thinking, that from all of the Old Testament, Jesus was the focal point. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus had to die and be buried and rise again according to the scriptures as they had spoken in the Old Testament. Philip simply followed Jesus' pattern. Jesus had done it with the two on the road to Emmaus, and then Jesus had done it with all of his disciples later that same day of his resurrection. And Jesus had taken them, beginning at Moses, through all of the prophets, through all of the Tanakh. In verse 44 and 45, it even includes the Psalms or the writings. The entirety of the Old Testament, the entirety of the Tanakh is all about Jesus. And he proved it on that day. And so Philip is following that same pattern. He started where this unit was and beginning at that scripture, he preached Jesus to this eunuch. Now, this eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship, indicating to me this was a feast. It was a pilgrimage feast, most likely, that this eunuch had come from Ethiopia to worship at. And it's very possible that he was, in fact, Jewish, most likely, if he did come. And so, therefore, Philip also shows us this pattern as well. So let's, first of all, discuss this question. Is the Old Testament for today? Now, some would have you believe it is not. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Reject it. Do not believe that lie. Have nothing to do with it. I want us to first go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. And the very first thing we're going to understand here is that the entirety of Scripture is verbally inspired. It is the Word of God Himself. From Genesis through Revelation, the entirety of it is Scripture. The entirety of the Old Testament is included in that. That is the only Scripture that the apostles had in that day because God was working in them to write the remaining scripture, the New Testament, we call it. But let's read Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The whole of Scripture, including the whole of what we call the Old Testament or the Jews call the Tanakh, is verbally inspired. It is the Word of God Himself. This was affirmed by Jesus and by the apostles many times. They credited the scriptures, they quoted them. I've distributed a chart 
of the Bible and the Old Testament included in the New Testament, showing the percentage of those things. And when you look at that chart, you will see with every book in the New Testament, it lists the percentage of those that have some connection to the Old Testament, either through a direct quote or a reference or some form of connection. And when you look it up, 33% of the entirety of the New Testament is connected to the Old Testament, has an Old Testament reference or quote. 33%, one-third of the New Testament. Now, for those who would like to tell you that the Old Testament has nothing to do with the Christian today, we don't need it, then you might as well take your New Testament and go get your scissors out and just cut it and start cutting it to shreds and you will be left with nothing but a bunch of confetti that you cannot put together that means nothing. I truly believe that you cannot really understand the New Testament until you understand its connection with the Old. It is one book, the Bible, and God has revealed some things in the Old Testament, and all of that points to Jesus in the New. I did a couple of messages called The Cross is the Filter. It was a short series. But in that series, I showed how to understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. What applies in the New Testament and why? And what doesn't apply in the New Testament and why not? Because it stopped at the cross in the sense that it was fulfilled entirely there. For instance, the sacrificial system. Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. He took care of the sin offering. He took care of the trespass offering. He took care of the red heifer offering, the ashes. He took care of the Passover lamb. He took care of all five of the Levitical offerings, basic offerings. He was the once for all sacrifice. And so we don't have to keep going after lambs and goats and bringing those things to church anymore and sacrificing them and making a bloody mess, literally. It, we don't have to do that because they all pointed to the Messiah who was going to be the sin offering, the once for all sacrifice for the entire world. But go back, let's say, for instance, the Ten Commandments. Every one of them still applies today. We are not to steal. We are not to covet. We are to honor God and, and keep a holy day of rest before him. We are to honor his name and not take it lightly. We are to honor our parents. We are to be faithful in our marriage. We are to not lie. All of those things apply. We are to love the Lord our God and no one else. We're to have no other loves. We're to have no other gods before him. All of those things still apply and they have come through the cross. But the cross is the filter to help us understand. So do not believe the lie. You will have no New Testament that can connect and make any sense if you try to cut it out. One third of the entire New Testament has Old Testament references and connections somehow. So first of all, we must understand that the entirety of the Bible that we have today is the word of the living God from Genesis through Revelation, not the extra biblical books and accounts like the Apocrypha and the book of Enoch. Those are not considered that, but the canon of scripture is the verbal word of the living God. Secondly, we need to understand that it has applications there are Old Testament things that connect with the New Testament. 
And there are bridges between that help us understand that. There are many occasions in the New Testament where it speaks of that this was fulfilled by the prophet so-and-so. And there were other places that connect us. Paul connected the Old Testament and the New Testament in many of his books. Peter connected it. The book of Hebrews is entirely a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew wrote his gospel to proclaim that connection so that the Jewish people specifically would know that Yeshua is their Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Praise be to God. We need to understand the importance of Jesus in the Old Testament. I'll never forget when I was reading this passage one day, many years ago, and this really jumped out at me and struck me because it's when Jesus rose from the dead and then he's walking alongside and joins up with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had been to the temple in Jerusalem. They were coming back from Jerusalem. This was the Feast of First Fruits. They had to bring their first fruit Omer offering, and so now they're on their way back home. Jesus joins up with them, but they don't recognize him at first. And so he plays He plays along with them. Well, why are you so sad? What's going on? And so they tell him, they said, do you not even know about the big, the big news of the town right now? I mean, Jesus, who we thought was the Messiah, has just been killed, crucified, and is dead and buried in a, in a grave somewhere. And so they're trying to tell him the story. Well, notice this as he opens their, he begins to open their eyes in verse 25 of Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, at that time, when I was reading this, it really struck me because I realized then, wait a minute, Jesus is in the Old Testament. That's what he just said here. He said, don't you know that all that the prophets spoke about the Messiah had to be fulfilled? Don't you know that Christ had to suffer these things so that he could then enter his glory? Don't you know that Moses, through all of the prophets, spoke about me? And so that is what really sparked in me this whole journey that has changed my life in the last 15 or 20 years, where I've been studying about how Jesus is all in the Old Testament. Jesus had this same kind of Bible study. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. That same day, a little bit later, we come down to verse 44 through 47, and it says this, Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. The entirety of the Tanakh is captured in that sentence. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
Then he said in John chapter 5, verse 39 and verse 45 through 47, something very similar because he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, you read and search all the scriptures, but you refuse what the scriptures are telling you because the Moses that you're reading speaks of me. And so we have to understand that Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. He is there in many ways. He is there through types and shadows. He is there in direct prophecies concerning him. He is there in direct patterns that show him direct typology. Some of the examples might be, for instance, Joseph, who went down to Egypt and was hated by his brothers, ended up in the pit and in the prison before he was exalted. We have the typology where Abraham was offering Isaac and the ram, the ram caught in the thicket was the substitute. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus who is our substitute, sacrificed in our place. You have Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, the kinsman redeemer to redeem someone who had been sold into slavery and to redeem their property, their inheritance. That kinsman redeemer had to have the ability to redeem, the means to redeem. He had to have the opportunity to redeem. He had to have a relationship, kinsman relationship with the person to be able to redeem them. And he had to have a willingness to redeem them. Jesus had the means to redeem. Oh, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's king of glory. He had the means to redeem. He had the opportunity to redeem. The divine decision was made way before the world was ever formed. The Bible tells us the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. He had to have the relationship to redeem. Jesus left glory and came down and became a man so that he could be a kinsman to us and be able to be the kinsman redeemer for us. And he had to have the willingness to redeem. Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. He said in another place that he had come to do the Father's will, and he yielded to what God had in mind. And he became the kinsman redeemer for every person who will believe in him. So the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. The Old Testament has Jesus throughout. Now, I use this illustration in my classes, and I believe it's a very good one to help you understand more about this and what we're explaining here. And first, I want to read this passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, in this passage, he's talking about how God in the past spoke in many ways to different people, many different people, many different parts of the puzzle, so to speak, given to each and every one throughout the Old Testament. But now he's speaking through Jesus. Now it's all beginning to come together in Jesus. Now it's becoming clear. I love to understand it this way. 
The Old Testament is like a puzzle box that has all the puzzle pieces. I used to love to do puzzles when I was better able to do them than I am now. But you go to the store, you buy a puzzle box that has, you know, the picture on the box. And inside the box are all these pieces sprinkled about. They've been cut up into little pieces and they're all sprinkled throughout. And the joy for those who enjoy putting puzzles together is to dig in that box and find and connect the pieces together. Well, the Old Testament is similar to that puzzle box and all of the pieces. All of the pieces that will reveal the picture on the box are inside that box. When we think about it like this, the Old Testament has all the pieces that point us to Jesus, who is the picture on the box and the completion of everything that he is doing and has done and will yet do in the New Testament from his first coming all the way through the church age and all the way through the end of the book when we see the wrap up and him actually coming and ruling and reigning as king in his eternal kingdom and the new Jerusalem. So the Old Testament contains all of those pieces to make that picture. And the picture is Jesus, the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of who he is as Messiah. But God chose to sprinkle all of the puzzle pieces to understand Jesus inside the box called the Old Testament. And some are found in the Torah, some are found in the Psalms, some are found in the prophets, sprinkled all throughout. And Proverbs says in one place, he says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. In other words, it was the glory of God to cut up all the little pieces and sprinkle them to all the different prophets and, and people that he used in the Old Testament. But the glory of kings, it says, is to search out the matter. And so that's where we dig into the puzzle pieces inside the Old Testament to find the connections and how the picture of Jesus is found there. The fulfillment is by seeing Jesus in the Old Testament and understanding this. In order to reach the Jews, we need to understand their scriptures and use that to help them come to Jesus and come to know him. It's the same pattern Jesus used. He used that and he showed them himself in the Old Testament. So the church role with the Old Testament the church is hidden and sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. I want to speak to you about a few scriptures here. I'm just going to give you the references for the sake of time. But the church is found in the Old Testament in hidden and discreet ways, but it is there. For instance, Deuteronomy 32 verse 21 talks about God working for his nation of Israel through those who were not a nation meaning the church. John chapter 5, verse 39 and verse 45 through 47, which I referenced earlier. Jesus himself said, you're searching Moses and the scriptures and they speak of me. Isaiah 65, verse 1. Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 5. The invitation to come and he speaks of a nation that he does not know, meaning that it's the Gentile people. It's not his chosen people. Isaiah 56 verses 3 through 8. Isaiah 66 verse 18 through 21. 
Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 14 through 16. Hosea chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. Romans chapter 9, verse 23 through 26, quoting Hosea chapter 1 and giving us the interpretation that it is referring to the church. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19 through 21. Romans chapter 10, verse 19 through 20. Psalm chapter 33, verse 12 speaks of any nation. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 5 through 10 also speaks of any nation. Paul says that the church was a mystery, but that it is fulfilling. Scripture is true and clear. It is part of the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it is also fulfilling Amos chapter 9, verse 11 through 12, according to James in Acts chapter 15. And I've covered that as well in the Tabernacle of David study. If you'd like to look that up, where we did a study on the Tabernacle of David, and it is called Beholding the Glory, if you're interested in looking that up. The church and the Jewish Christians or the Jewish people who believe in Messiah, let's talk a little bit about their relationships and the principles. First of all, the Jews are still Jews. They don't have to change. They don't have to become Gentile Christians. Now their traditions, their feasts, their practices, their customs carry new and living meaning for them. It's not a dead, dry religion and ritualistic. Now they are infused with spirit life. It's kind of like the light bulb. Now they understand it. And because of that understanding, it comes clearer to them and they treasure it all the more. It, now it makes sense to them. They're free to worship on Shabbat. They're free to worship at all, all their festivals. They're free to observe the kosher diet if they want to, the circumcision, etc. But most important of all is that they do it in honor and in remembrance of Jesus Christ, not from some form of legalistic bondage. Gentiles are still free in Christ as Christians. We see that, and Paul makes that very clear in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 23, and in the entirety of the book of Galatians, especially in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. There is no condemnation. There's no judging about with either one of us. Their days and their festivals, the Sabbaths, etc., are now having new meaning to those who understand them. But the Christians, Gentiles, can worship on Sunday as well because that is the day that Jesus rose from the dead and we honor his resurrection by choosing that day. So that is personal choice, personal conviction before the Lord. There's freedom in diet. There's freedom in these various things. Paul tells us about the circumcision of the spirit. There is a token of the heart's circumcision that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. And what he's talking about there is that it was always a circumcision of the heart. That's always been what God has been after. The token given to Abraham was merely that. It was a sign. But when we look in Colossians chapter 3 and in Philippians chapter 3, we understand more about this circumcision of the Spirit. It's laid out for us. It's explained. And I've done a recent study on that. It's one of the episodes in a long study called The Beauty of Grace. Beauty of Grace. 
and it's one of the most recent episodes that I'm posting up now. It is called The Circumcision of Grace. And in there, I explain all of these various scriptures and what the circumcision of the spirit or of the heart is all about. It's always been that way with God, but he did give to Abraham a token in his flesh of this heart circumcision. So now Jews and Christians can fellowship as one in Messiah, those who all believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah, with each of us diverse and well-respecting one another. Love is always to rule, and we are to use our liberty to serve one another. I believe it was Augustine. I may be wrong in quoting this, so I'm, please forgive me if I've misquoted the wrong person or whatever, but there's a phrase that says, in the essentials, unity, meaning doctrine. We must all agree on the basic doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was virgin born. He was the son of the living God. He is the son of the living God. He did die for our sins in our place as a substitute for us. He did be buried in the ground for the three days and three nights. He did rise from the dead on the feast of first fruits, and he is the first fruits from the dead. He is coming back. He is King of kings and Lord of lords and will rule eventually in his kingdom forever, in an everlasting kingdom given to him by God the Father. So we must have unity in the essentials of the doctrine. Now I want to give one caveat about unity. There is a bad unity and there is a very good unity. And we seek the unity of the Holy Spirit, not the bad one. One example of the bad unity is found in Genesis 11. Have nothing to do with it. Have nothing to do with that. Seek and endeavor, Paul says, to keep the unity of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit of the living God, is who he's talking about. So in the essentials of our doctrine, there must be unity. In the non-essentials, there must be liberty for us to have our individual freedoms. But in all things, charity, love must rule always. And part of love is respecting and honoring one another in our diversity and in our liberty. Paul mentions about the church and the this joining of Christians and Jews together in Messiah, making us one in Messiah as this mystery. The Greek word is mysterion, and it speaks of something that's been there all along, but it's not yet been revealed until now. It's like pulling back a curtain or opening a door and seeing what's inside, what's behind it, what's been there, but we haven't been able to see it until now. And so that's when Paul speaks of this mystery, when Peter speaks of this mystery, that is what they're talking about. I want to remind us as we close to pray for the Jewish people. We're going to talk about more in how to reach them in solid evangelism as we discussed at the beginning of this message. But remember to pray for them that they will be saved, that they will recognize Messiah, that they will call out to him and be born again of the spirit of the living God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and Lord willing, you can join us again for more episodes and the remainder of this series, One in Messiah. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.